Hey, 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 what's going on, guys? Welcome to I Do Podcast. Thanks for joining us here today. So if you haven't already signed up for the 14-day Happy Couple Challenge. Check that out. I forgot the name. Thank you, Sarah, <laughs> for filling in there. Definitely check that out. Uh, one daily challenge delivered straight to your inbox for free. And uh, it's a great way to keep your relationship strong and healthy. A lot of tips in there, so check that out. We've had hundreds of people sign up, getting great feedback from this. Kind of our first uh, yeah. email challenge that we've we've put out there, so it's awesome to see uh, see the positive reception. Yeah, that's uh, idopodcast.com forward slash 14, and you can sign up. And we've mentioned this before, but 14 days every day can be can be a lot, you know, with kids or just working, busy lives. So uh, do it at your own pace. Do what works for you. Do one every other day or every couple days and just try to implement those little tasks or little challenges into relationship and we know it will help you and make your relationship happier. Yeah, and uh, we're here in summertime in the Northern Hemisphere for all you Southern Hemisphere Listeners, which aren't a lot, but we got a few of you down under and in, yeah. in, in, uh, other places, South Africa, in the winter. But uh, summertime for the north and most of our <laughs> listeners uh, is a great time. It's usually a little bit slower, right? Yeah. Associate that. And so you have that time maybe to work on your relationship and implement these things. And today's episode, hopefully you have time to listen to that. And you're listening now. Uh, Today's episode, we welcome Susan and Vicky. And Vicky Larson is an award-winning journalist in San Francisco Bay Area. And Susan Pease Godwa is a licensed therapist based in San Francisco and the author of a few books on relationships. And they got together and they have a new book called The New I Do. I like that. Where'd they get that? Uh, I do. Yeah. First yeah. time we kind of heard that in yeah. a uh, in another relationship book context. It's. I mean, come on. It's not a. Uh, it's not revolutionary here, but that was kind of funny. But uh, yeah. So they have a really interesting new book. We haven't read it, but we talked to them a lot about what's in the book in today's podcast. And what is it about? It's about rethinking marriage and marriage as we know it in Western culture, is more of a binding contract to look at it very subjective or objectively. And it comes with a lot of cultural weight to it. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Marriage is supposed to look this way. And that's just not the reality. Um, Things are changing and for the better. And and you can marry who you like in most places. That's a good thing. Um, and 
marriage can be structured differently. We talk about the different ways, and it doesn't have to be radical, and a lot of these things might not apply to you, but I think the value in it is to understand that there's other ways to do it, that you don't have to succumb necessarily to the pressure to make your marriage one particular way and that there are options. And that doesn't even mean, when we talk about it, like an open marriage where the couple is swinging, to me that's the extreme example, but it doesn't mean you have to go out and do that. But there's there's degrees of developing your marriage to fit into what it is that you want it to be. And I think it's a beautiful thing that they, they have this and that they're putting that information out there. And, and the big thing that I took away is not to be shameful and and I think that's a uh one of the things that society tells us is that hey you're you're 25 30 year old single female have no plans to be married on the horizon your grandmother's probably bugging the heck out of you when are you going <laughs> to get married right but that's perfectly fine and 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 the reverse from a male's perspective I know I felt a lot of pressure when Sarah and I had been together for for 6 years it's like hey I, I mentioned the Beyonce song. I won't sing it, but Sarah, how does it go? Um, you don't have to sing it. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to hear my voice, but if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, had a little country slang version to it. What are you talking about? You don't want to hear your voice. Sarah is a great singer, but uh, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> um, but yeah, that there's this pressure that, that well, it's time to get married, and and it's... It's a, a big thing, and obviously it's a very broad topic. So Susan and Vicky have this book, and we really get into the different kinds of marriages, different ways to look at it, and how to navigate uh, this space. Yeah, in addition to not feeling the shame, um, it's the other point I got from, from our conversation is to actually keep the conversation open with your partner. Um, and that kind of allows you to be able to, whether it's explore or, or not, but to feel comfortable in your relationship to talk about these alternatives. Because at the end of the day, you want to do what's best for you and how, what is what you're most comfortable with. And, and not everybody is going to fit into that, the black and white social uh, or cultural norms of what marriage is. So uh, knowing that there are alternatives out there and other ways that can work for you uh, just to be open-minded and, and to consider those. Yeah. And when something's not working close to 50% of the time with our divorce rate so high, and I've always said this is, is you got to rethink that, you know, if, if something is, it doesn't mean that it doesn't work for everyone. It, it can certainly work and it does and it works for us, but it's important to, Re-examine it like like we're doing with so many things um, as societies and cultures evolve and grow. And I think this is kind of like the next area I feel like that's really coming up in in rethinking, you know, what is it? Millennials are they're they're a lot of them are single. The, yeah. the marriage rate is they're, they're waiting to get married. Yeah, they're waiting to get married till later. So. So, yeah. Um, I think a lot of value in today's episode. And uh, as always, we really appreciate you guys listening, subscribing on iTunes, leaving us reviews. Those five-star reviews definitely help us uh, bump up in the rankings there. And, and it's awesome. I mean, the other day we looked, what what is it? We're like the top 
marriage and relationship podcast yeah, on uh, I think number on number one for marriage advice, dating advice, and yeah. you know one, two, three for relationship advice. So yeah. That's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome for us to see that. Yeah. How cool is that? And all we were trying to do is get free, uh, counseling. <laughs> Mar- marriage basically. advice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all we're here doing is, is getting the information from our guests, just like you guys are and applying it to our relationship, trying to make our relationship better and, uh, and then just give it to you. So we appreciate it and hope you guys enjoy today's show. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace the online therapy company that lets you choose from over 1,500 licensed therapists. Get matched with your perfect therapist who can put you on a path to a happier life. For $30 off your first month, visit Talkspace.com forward slash I do. That's Talkspace.com forward slash I do. Hi, Susan and Vicki. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Oh, thanks so much for having us. Thank you guys very much. So we've given our listeners a little overview, a little bit about each of yourselves. So why don't you tell us about yourselves and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships and sharing this unique perspective that we're going to talk about uh, in your new book. Well, um, this is Vicki, and um, I am a woman who has been married and divorced twice, uh, and I know the shame and um, that often people talk about when they get a divorce, and also a sense of a failed marriage, and I really wanted to change the conversation about that and let people know that um, marriage is changing, and it's not a failure if the marriage ends in divorce. And um, as for me, I am a therapist, and I've been working with people um, for many years, but for the past 17 years, I have been specifically working with people who are divorcing or um, at some you know, problem state in their marriage and invariably people will come in and say, I feel like a failure or I failed or the marriage failed or we come from a broken family. And I really started to hate that the language is very shaming. And um, if you're not doing it one specific way, then people say that there's something wrong with you. And I myself, when I started doing the work, had never been married and people would say, what's wrong with you? How come you've never been married? So it just it's a very shame-based paradigm that we have and if someone's not doing it the way it's supposed to be done they are told they're doing something wrong and so um you know I really make it my life's purpose to take the shame aspect and the one size fits all aspect out of marriage because I feel like we're so we all have such different needs and instead of all of us trying to cram into one model we should make marriage fit who we are. Um, and I'll just say quickly, um, when Vicki and I were doing the research, um, you know, we set out to talk about how marriage could be different, but we had no idea that so much was already going on. And, and it was amazing to do the research and uncover 
all the ways that people are starting to personalize the institution. Well, we love that. And I think this is an extremely important and fascinating topic because we're going to really dig into marriage and talk about your book that you guys wrote together, um, The New I Do, Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels. And you guys talk about a renewable term-limited marital contracts, a.k.a. beta marriages. And this is a proposal that you guys discuss in the book, or a short way to to talk about it. But basically, what you already mentioned is reshaping the way we look at marriage. And I think it's it's so important because so much of everything we do in life and especially in our relationships is influenced by the culture that we live in. And particularly, I can speak obviously most well to to being a uh Western in Western culture in the U.S. and it's like if you're not married when you're late twenties, it's kind of a weird thing. And then on top of that, another example would be kids. And then kids is the next sort of cultural influence. But we're going to just talk about marriage and what I guess to get us started. What are you seeing that is new, and and how can people maybe apply that or explore that for their current relationship or when they get into a serious one? Well, um, what, what um, some people have started to do, and, and, and I love that you brought up the renewable term limited marriage, because as we say in the book, it, these have been kind of around and talked about for a really, really long time. And uh, recently, uh, Mexico City and a bunch of other countries thought about it. No one ever put it into law. But we're really at a time now where they would actually make a lot of uh, sense. And the contract, um, our contract, was actually uh, a a model for Mandy Len Ketron uh, for a relationship contract. She wrote a wildly popular modern love piece in 2015 called to fall in love with anyone do this and it had 36 questions she got a book contract out of that and the book just came out and we our contract is mentioned in the book and she wrote another modern love piece uh, talking about this contract that she has with her partner before they moved in together and um, a lot of times people are not clear about what they really want and why they're moving in together, whether they're just cohabiting or getting married. Uh, And the mundane day-to-day things, assumptions are made, frustrations happen, and the next thing you know, you're arguing uh, over things that really could have been talked about and clarified before from the get-go. And so we, we were so excited that she loved the idea of the contract. And we do encourage people to, to do that because, as you probably know, uh, having been married and, and you have a child, I believe, uh, there's, there's lots of places in a relationship where misunderstandings and assumptions uh, can really frustrate uh, a couple and and. Clarity is really important. 
Can you give us some examples of what exactly would be in the contract? Well, um, we, we have a sample in our, uh, in our book, uh, but it, it really would have to be individual. So, so say, um, uh, let's say how, if in-laws want to come and visit, are they going to stay with you? How long can they stay? Um, uh, if you, uh, let's say someone gets a job offer in another city or another country, how are you going to address that? Um, are we going to have children? If we are going to have children, are we going to, when we have problems, would we use IVF? How many times would we adopt? I mean, just think of the many, many things that uh, couples talk about or don't talk about, actually, that um, often are not on the same page. Uh, and a huge one, um, monogamy. Because the assumption, the assumption is that uh, you, everyone wants to be monogamous, and, uh, but we know that affairs happen. So, and, so you'd want to really talk about monogamy. And also, how would you define infidelity? Yeah, and what I'm getting from this contract talk is it's really about opening up communication in a way that it's formalized. So it's it's putting it on paper, and a lot of what we talk about boils down to communication or a miscommunication and getting clear on what it is that your values are, what it is that you expect out of the relationship, questions like, do you want kids? We I almost am kind of smiling here that that's such an obvious thing. I'm not saying I, I think of all of them, but there's plenty of people that don't talk about that before they, they move in together or get serious. You don't have to talk about it on the first date. You might scare away uh, your date, but <laughs> hey, do you want kids? But when you're certainly when you're taking that next step and you're really starting to like this person, getting it in even in writing in in a contract sort of form uh it's such an important thing so that you get on the same page as your partner and that is so important chase especially when you have children because so much can be miscommunicated or not communicated and um you know, and then conflict happens, and that impacts your children hugely, and you get frustrated with your partner instead of working together. And, uh, you know, a lot of people worry about the idea of writing it down, but what it does is it holds you accountable, too. Yes, I agreed to do this. You agreed to do that. We agreed to do this together. And... There's no way to really hold people accountable in a marriage because, you know, because people aren't really talking about it. And, and also, the contract is not set in stone. If you go from, uh, you know, a newlywed status to, let's say, becoming parents, you're going to want to change and tweak things. Um, so it's not set in stone. It is just a way to continue the conversation going um, throughout the course of your marriage. Vicki and I call it conscious coupling, you know, rather than the, un the conscious uncoupling. It's like, why won't we consciously couple? 
Absolutely. It, I think there's just so much pressure that, hey, we're together. We we kind of like each other. And then culture and society tells us what's the next thing we're supposed to do? Move in. And then we move mm-hmm. in, or maybe not, but hopefully you, you moved in. And then what's the next step? Well, you're supposed to get married, right? And then you get the house and you get the dog and you get the kid. And we're we're raised with that as the narrative of what we're supposed to do, like so many things that, that culture influences on our life. And obviously relationships is a huge one. What we see in the movies on TV and it's very much this tract. And you guys talk about, and we've heard this before, but when the divorce rate is as high as it is with nearly 50% or, or I know it's, it's always around that area. You got to think, Hey, this is something that, doesn't really seem to be working. If your car started 50% of the time, you'd be like, uh, I might need a new car or try something else. It's not to say that it's an institution that that's that we need to do away with, but certainly rethink or have people understand that it might work for some people, might not work for others, but because it's not working doesn't mean that it it it's absolutely trash. It just means that it might not work in the form that society it tells it that you need to be monogamous or that you know any number of things so i guess to to move forward here what are some other ways that people can think about the the conscious coupling as you said and navigate that with themselves with their partner and and with their friends and family and how how can they communicate that Sure. You you said, you know, move in together. Well, one of the models that um, we have in the book, which, you know, we did not make these up. These are all already happening uh, throughout the world, is the live apart together marriage or LAT. And that is actually really growing. It's huge in Europe. And it's really huge in the United States among older people like me. Um, And it's really a great way for people who value commitment and also independence. I don't know how long the two of you have been married, but when you are all living together, you there's, there can be frustrations with, Oh, he did this or she did that. And, um, there isn't often space to just do your own thing. And uh, so uh, a live apart together marriage is not what a lot of people think. Like they say, well, why would we even want to live together? Why even get married then? Because the research has shown that people who choose that model feel as committed and even more so uh, than people who live together. They have freedom and they have connection and they work harder because it is a little bit harder when you live apart. And so uh, that, and, and, and I would choose that were I to get again or even with my romantic partners now. I don't really want to live with anybody anymore. So that is, that's a hard one to explain to some people, but um, the research really backs it up that it's a really great way to live and be married if your priority is um, independence or for your career. And I want to give an example of another um, 
marriage that I've been working on a lot with clients, and that is uh, the parenting marriage. And I work with people primarily who have been in their marriage for a while and maybe want to get divorced but don't want to get divorced because they have kids together. And rather than having to either stay stuck in a marriage they're not happy in or divorce, which has a whole slew of problems, they can actually stay in the marriage and just change their job description where they are no longer romantic partners and have their relationship centered around that. But now they are primarily focused on what is best for the kids and and the kids' welfare. And if they want to have other partners, they can do that. But the way it's different from an open marriage is that their romantic relationship is no longer and the primary purpose of shifting into a parenting marriage versus an open marriage is, is that the focus is not on the sexual aspect, rather it's on taking care of the kids and providing stability. So those are two ways, the open marriage and the parenting marriage, that people can tweak marriage to fit more of who they are. And what's interesting about the parenting marriage is that there are now a lot of websites uh, uh, like Pollen Tree and um, getting the other names that actually are bringing together men and women who want a parenting partner but don't want that person to be the romantic partner. And those people do long, long contracts that detail schooling and religious training and all sorts of things, which most parents, you know, most of us don't do, right? We just have a kid. We haven't talked about things in detail. And, uh, and so that is also a growing thing, too, where, where they're going into it not as romantic partners. They're going in as co-parents, that's really interesting, and it's interesting that there's enough demand that there's a, a website for it. And I oh, love, yeah, <laughs> I love these two examples. And can you guys talk about what a open marriage would look like? Sure. Uh, a lot of people get nervous about that, <laughs> but um, as I mentioned before, monogamy is uh, assumed generally. And people don't always talk about, am I choosing monogamy or do I feel like I have to be monogamous? Um, And am I good at it? Have I mm, slipped up in the past and maybe cheated on a partner? So an open marriage can be anything from one person gets a hall pass to they swing together to being polyamorous, which is really different than just an open marriage Polyamorous is, uh, polyamory is where you are actually making emotional and sexual uh, partners. It's, so it's, you actually are um, you're getting emotionally evolved, involved, and they are part of a family. Sometimes live all together, sometimes not. So it, it really runs the gamut. It could be that you're just having a threesome separately, uh, you know, together, or you're you're allowed to have emotion. You know, you're allowed to have a a fling on a business trip. So it's really uh, quite um, a broad spectrum, but it does 
solve a problem that happens often in marriages in which sexual desires change and one person is not interested in as much as the other person and then you have um, an, an unequal desire and we one of our um, blog posts on our website has hundreds of people writing in and they're frustrated because of this exact thing partner want sex the way the other person does and is denying the person sex and most many people go into marriage assuming that there's going to be sex and uh and when it doesn't happen they feel very very diminished and their choices are either suffer or cheat or divorce so we say well how about considering an open marriage um and also sometimes illness will do that too. We spoke to one person whose partner um, got ill and he was unable to have intercourse and he encouraged her to have a lover. because and, and so she's very committed to him. They love each other. They live together. But she has someone to take care of her sexual needs. I think the main point that we also make in the book is that uh, as you said earlier, Chase, we get these scripts and we're, we have these expectations and we're supposed to know and follow and whatnot. But, you know, as much as I'm not, I would not want to have an open marriage, but I don't want, I don't think it's up to me to tell someone else that they shouldn't have one. And so we, again, taking that shame piece away, um, you know, it's some of these are kind of out there in terms of what I would, what would work for me, um, but they would work for another couple. And as long as it works for both of the people in the couple, it's kind of like, who are we to say they shouldn't be doing it that way? So we're, we're really shedding a lot of light in our book on, you know, what people are needing these days in our modern times. We need some choices that match the world we live in. I think that's the most important thing that um, when I hear this, that you may, that makes me think you have to do what's best for the individual and for the relationship. So not a, you know, a typical monogamous marriage may not work for everybody, like you're saying, and they shouldn't feel shameful if one of these alternatives works better for them and their relationship. Exactly. We really right. want to honor people based on what their needs and their goals and what their values are and get rid of that script. Because when you get married, when you get your marriage license, all that marriage license does is give you access to 1,100 federal uh, perks and legal protections. It doesn't say you have to be monogamous. Doesn't say you have to live together. It doesn't say you have to have children. It doesn't tell you what you have to do. Society puts pressure on, but we need more models to make more pe people say, oh, you know, if I know that I can get married that way, I might actually want to get married that way. And it felt really good to hear from people who said, who had made some of those choices. Oh, thank you. 
thank you for acknowledging that I'm not a freak because this is what I want in my life. It was really valid. They feel very validated. Like you guys mentioned, these ideas are, are not new. They've been around. I think we're just learning about them and they're being more widely distributed because of technology and because of podcasts and the internet and now that person that maybe 50 years ago is thinking I want to have a a marriage and let's say they were calling it to themselves an open marriage but they're shameful because society is telling them that's wrong they don't know that that is an option or that other people are doing it and now we have you guys writing this book and and us sharing this with our listeners and many, many other podcasts and websites doing the same. And I think that'll just continue, hopefully, and that people become educated with this knowledge and that we can look at a partnership, a relationship, a marriage, and it doesn't have to be defined by what culture and society has generally told us that it needs to be that it has to be like an extreme example of this would be somewhere like India where they have arranged marriages and obviously that's a huge cultural thing if you grow up in India you might not know hey you have the option to choose your partner because that may not even seem like an option to them because that's the culture that they're raised in that's just what you do and and can you imagine that I I was an anthropology major and it's just this kind of stuff is so interesting to me because culture shapes so much of of who we are and marriage is one of the biggest and and strongest cultural institutions in in any culture and it often doesn't get questioned and I think in today's with today's technology and in the dialogue that's going on it's beginning to a lot of cultural cultural institutions are being questioned. Gay marriage, uh, uh, all of these things, uh, recreational use of drugs. I'm just using these examples because they're along the same uh, cultural things that that we just don't question. But then when you when you're armed with more information, uh, it it slowly changes, and it seems like marriage and relationships is the next field, if you want to call it, that, that is slowly changing in, in our society. Well, yeah, you, you, you're absolutely right. And, and also, we're at a point right now in the world where marriage has really changed. Marriage used to be a duty. Women couldn't, you know, didn't, if they didn't marry, they had no money. So right now, You can have sex and children outside of marriage. You can live together without being married. You can, uh, women have financial independence. These were traditionally the things that marriage mattered for. Marriage doesn't matter for that anymore. So now we have to say, well, why are we getting married? What do we hope to do in this marriage? And then once you're clear on why you still want to get married when you no longer have to, it kind of guides you down the path of, oh, well, how are we going to make our marriage work for us? So we're really at a a point in time right now where uh, we are really ready for these marital models to, to bust out and have more people choose the marriage that's going to fit 
who they are and how we are living today, not like in the past, because that past is, is over. It's, it, it's not coming back. It's not going to come and back. I, I want to just mention, it, it's so true, it's even 25 years ago, it's not, we're not talking about that long ago, but Vicki and I uh, have a, a new, the new I Do Facebook page, and every day we post articles about, um, in the, that we find in the media that on marriage and how it's changing and shifting. And I'm constantly amazed. And by the way, even in India, um, marriage is changing and evolving and people are realizing they don't have to succumb to the traditions and uh, the arranged marriages. So everywhere around the world, marriage and divorce for that matter are changing dramatically. So I would love for you guys to check out our the new I do Facebook page because I'm always astounded um, of what's going on out there. That sounds great. And yeah, it's just a, a great thing that you guys are doing and, and we're just so happy to share it with our listeners because it is important to to question these things and to really examine because it's your happiness and and that there's other ways to do it and there's I know I felt pressure from just the way I was raised and and that I need to get married you know and and that was something that I pushed back against probably almost went in the other way because of that you know if if someone's telling you to do something sometimes you want to do the opposite <laughs> and Sarah and I were dating for f- 6 years before I proposed right yeah and but it become a a thing that uh, was a little bit of an object of tension in our relationship. Not not huge, but Sarah more or less made it known that she wanted, uh, what's the Beyonce song? If you like her, put a <laughs> ring on it. She wanted that to happen. And, and then I felt this pressure. And then it almost, it made me push back and be like, look, I love you. I want to be with you, but I don't need this title of of what culture in in our society is telling us on the other hand i understand from sarah's perspective and she communicated this to me at the time after we talked and i think this is a key is that she wanted the commitment and i think that's where marriage is very valuable because it's it's lets the other partner know hey i'm committed to you in this relationship but I think as it evolves and and we get away from that standard cultural model, then someone I could say, someone can say to their partner, and you can do this now too, but hey, I love you. Let's make a contract, call it the new I do contract or whatever, and it'll just be our thing. And I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but we're not going to call it getting married. And and because it's, it's just a, it's really just a legal thing so it it is it's an interesting thing personally i guess to to bring this to something that uh, our listeners can can use how would you say someone like myself navigate that with their partner those discussions to me the important thing is that you're having the discussion and communicating like you said ask yourselves why are we getting married what do we hope to do yeah well I, that's really a great place to start because uh, you're probably feeling pressure. What happens is you hit a certain age and your friends start getting married 
or you've been dating for a while and everyone goes, so when are you guys going to get married? You've been dating for, for and you feel the pressure. And, um, and that's really hard. It's really hard to fight that. Um, I wanted to talk about the commitment because you can, and many people are committed without having to get married. Look at same-sex couples. For so long, they couldn't get married, but they raised families together, they had children together, and they were in long-term relationships. So you don't have to be married to ha be committed. You have to be committed to be committed. And the reason why same-sex couples fought so hard to get legally, uh, to have legal marriage is because they wanted those legal perks and protections that was very evident during the AIDS crisis when they often couldn't go and visit their partner in the hospital. And they also wanted society to validate their relationship. So you don't need marriage for commitment. You need commitment for commitment. And the reason why I love the idea of renewable marriage contracts is that rather than one day out of your life where you vow to do this and that and then leave it at that, um, and as you say, there is certainly amount of divorce. It's about 40% for younger people, people over 50. It's 50% and climbing all the time. Um, if you have a renewable contract, then basically every year or two years or whatever you set your contract for, you are basically saying, I choose you again. I choose this relationship again. And I don't know about you guys, but I find that incredibly romantic. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great way to look at it. And I think we can get caught up in semantics, and we do experience culture through language. And marriage is just that. It's a, it's a word defining the what could also be called conscious coupling or, or you name it, but it's so loaded with within our culture. And I'm just, and I'm speaking from personal experience and just having friends because we are that age. I just turned 31 and we've been married now for, for almost three years, but you go through that time where it's like there's a wedding uh, every other weekend in the summer and all the friends are, are getting married. And then now we have a two-year-old, but that's the next thing is the kids. And you would always have that that one friend or that's maybe not married and you just see them getting pounded like with these questions or if they have a girlfriend there, so when's when are you guys getting hitched and this and that. And it's like, it's almost an automatic thing that, that people do because it is so ingrained in us, but I, I, it's good to see that the conversation is changing and hopefully it'll take time, but, but that there shouldn't be the shame attached to not being married, to being single when you're 40, because you're happier that way. And, or to being a woman and, and not wanting kids is another example that I feel like there's a lot of pressure. So I think this is a really important conversation and we've provided some interesting alternatives that people can, can think about uh, in their current relationship or when they go into one. Are there any other things that, that are very, that could be very valuable uh, to consider uh, with this, with this broad topic? I would like to just add that 
I think it's important to uh, to say that we are advocates of marriage, and one of the reasons is that marriage does provide some protections and perks that are really important, and you don't know how important they are until and unless you go to break up. And um, so, you know, we are we're happy to support people who want to just live together. We're happy to support people who want to get married. But I think the biggest thing is understanding what you're doing and making the choice. As Vicki said, you're choosing it rather than sliding into it or falling into something. It's, it's basically, you're not following a script. You're having open, honest conversations about what would it look like if we just lived together? What would it look like if we got married? What are the risks, you know, and, and talking about, of course, I'm a therapist, I'll say that, but, you know, talking about um, what is important to you. And that's exactly what Mandy Len Catron said in, in her article of, you know, we've had conversations that we never would have had if we hadn't had that model of uh, a, a template for a, a discussion. So it's crucial, really, to have a healthy relationship. What we have found is that the happiest marriages are the ones where the couple has matched expectations, right? They, they both understand and they want the same thing. And that's really, really important um, because, I mean, I think anyone getting married wants a happy marriage. And so um, having those discussions and learning about each other. And some people might say, you know, afraid to do that because like, oh, I don't want to do it because, you know, he... He might, I, he, there might be things about him or her that I don't like. Well, you really want to know that before you get married. And I think we have a statistic in the book that says 30% of women knew that they were marrying the wrong person on their wedding day, but they were too far gone into it and they didn't want to disappoint everybody. Um, just think of that. That is not what we want to encourage at all. We want people to, if, if you have these conversations before you tie the knot and you realize, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And I don't know if I can live with that. I think you want to know that. Wow, that's an incredible statistic. I've not heard that. And that, it, I mean, it surprises me, but then it kind of doesn't because you do hear a lot of times how people aren't talking about what they want for the future and... I think that's kind of why we started this podcast is almost kind of a premarital counseling. And it, I think it, it really helped because we talked about things and that we probably might not have brought up if we hadn't done this show or had done premarital counseling. So it really is important to talk about those things that are important to you before you tie the knot. And I think sometimes they don't talk about it because they're not conscious themselves. They're not having an internal dialogue. So certainly starting with yourself and saying, what's my truth? You know? Yeah, it's, it's the hard way is, is a lot of times what you should be doing. It's easy to just go along and say, oh, I kind of like this guy. I kind of like this girl. And uh, we've been living together and let's just get married. <laughs> And and I feel like that is 
again, I'm I'm just coming into it with my own perspective, but it feels like, like you said, 30%, let's go with that statistic. That's insane. You know, that means 30, <laughs> let's say it's even 10% of people that are making a commitment to a person that essentially, to put it bluntly, they don't like. And, and, and it shows in the divorce rate. Obviously, there's a number of things happening there, but I think it's key, like you just mentioned, examine yourself, look within, ask these questions to yourself, and then ask them with your partner. There's obviously way more things to consider in in different situations that we could talk about for for days. It could be an entire podcast with every episode talking about one different thing. So I would encourage our listeners to to read your book, and and I hope hopefully this first part of the interview has given them some things to think about. I think it's it's been very valuable. And uh, but now we got to move forward to the lasting love round. Before we get into the lasting love round, want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Talkspace. We all need to take a little bit better care of ourselves, and our mental health is no exception. Pretty much every guest on this show recommends talking to a therapist, either as an individual or a couple, to help improve yourself in the relationships in your life. And that's why we're so excited to be working with Talkspace. They're an online therapy company that makes it easy to connect with an experienced licensed therapist that you're going to pick based on your preferences for as little as $32 a week. And how cool is this? You can send your therapist text, audio, video messages, or even do live video chat. Talkspace therapists are fully licensed and go through rigorous screening processes in addition to thousands of hours of supervised professional training. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash I do. And as a special offer for our listeners, you can use the coupon code I do and get $30 off your first month and to show support for the podcast. That's Talkspace.com forward slash I do talk space therapy for how we live today. What is one tool or practice our listeners can use on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? Susan, you take (laughs) (laughs) one tool uh, or practice that they could use on a daily basis. Um, Well, I think it's important to, you know, if you look at an airplane, it basically is gets put on a course and then it, it has to constantly do course correction um, as it's flying through the air. And I think that if, if each person is continuing to say, you know, am I on the course I want to be on? Um, am I being authentic to myself and to my partner and to my family? Um, and just checking in on a regular basis, um, that will go a long way to having a, a much healthier, deeper relationship. Is there a book or resource you can recommend for listeners who want to improve their relationship? Besides <laughs> Um Yeah, besides the new I do? Yes. <laughs> Um, oh boy, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, well, there are some books. Um, I'm not. I'm not remembering the name on attachment style, which probably can help people 
Um, you know, honestly, I, yeah. oh, I, I, can, I, can, I can, Esther Perel's um, Mating, Mating in Captivity is a wonderful book. It's a really useful book, and she is just wonderful. She is changing the conversation about infidelity and monogamy and consensual non-monogamy. So Esther Perel's Mating in Captivity is a wonderful and important book for every couple to read. There's um, There are other books. Uh, one, How to Be an Adult in Relationships. Um, that's one of my favorites. And then also The Five Love Languages is a really great book to understand why you and your partner can sometimes miss, uh, you know, communicate, miss, acknowledge the other person. So. And there's another book that's not yet published. It's coming out in September. It's by Eli Finkel. Uh, and it's called The All or Nothing Marriage. And uh, I've, I've been reading it and uh, a preview copy and it's really good. And uh, he brings up, he, he understands how marriage has changed and, and gives some tools on uh, the most successful marriages nowadays. Great. Well, we will add all those books, including your book, on your show notes page at idopodcast.com. Awesome. We've been married for almost three years now. Uh, is there any advice you'd give newlyweds? Uh, I would say question the script, you know, um, again, it's about conscious coupling and make sure that, uh, whatever you are doing, if you're having a conversation about starting to have a family, uh, a house to buy jobs, anything that the more you talk about it and the more you have self-awareness, the, the more you're likely to make a decision that you'll be happy with later on and just to keep saying your truth as you go along. And also to remember that um, you are going to get frustrated with your partner, especially in the newlywed year. It's a golden year, but you've had this big day and you were building up to that big day and you probably have planned so much for the wedding and you didn't really quite plan for the marriage. And now you're in the marriage and the wedding is long gone. Um, just remember to come from a loving place and for kindness and, 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 and consciousness, being mindful about the way you talk and the triggers uh, that, uh, that uh, happen to all of us. And also to understand a little bit of your family of origin issues because those will uh, show up in your marriage and they will especially show up when you have a child, if, you, if you're going to have children. So um, really, you're coming from a loving place, and that should always be a loving and kind place, and that should always be your priority. This is the person you love. <laughs> what advice would you give our single listeners looking for a happy relationship? You know, this, the, the same, kind of, uh, same kind of advice, really, is that... Um, don't bow to the pressure that they have to, you have to couple up. This is a very coupled world. Uh, Bella de Paolo calls it uh, matrimonia. Um, and uh, you don't have to be married. You don't have to be coupled. Um, but if you do want to be coupled, then to uh, be sure that 
you are aware of why you want to be coupled? Is it just following the script? Or do you genuinely want a partner? And if you want a partner, what would it look like? How would you want it to look like? I don't mean the person, but I mean the relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've really enjoyed having you guys on today. If someone is listening for the first time to this relationship podcast, they might be like, man, everything they're saying is uh, question all of your assumptions don't get married (laughs) but (laughs) joking aside i think this is a really important thing and hopefully it and i imagine your book is changing people's lives and if people listen to this podcast they're gonna rethink the way they approach their existing uh relationship or a future one and that's really valuable so why don't we finish by having you tell our listeners where they can find you, and then we'll say goodbye. Sounds great. Well, uh, Vicki and I have a website called thenewidobook.com. We also have the Facebook page I mentioned, The New I Do, and we'd love to have some more likes and follows and comments. And um, I have a website called changingmarriage.com, and uh, people can visit me on that. I also do have a website, uh, parentingmarriage.com. So I welcome people uh, sending me questions and comments. And we're also on Twitter as the new I do. My personal Twitter is OMG Chronicles. And I have a blog with a weekly post on marriage and divorce and children and family. And it's called uh, OMG Chronicles. And uh, we would just uh, love to hear from people. Um, it, it, we really are passionate about um, helping people find their way uh, in this world uh, romantically. And we want to keep the dialogue going. Right. Absolutely. Well, all those links will be on our show notes page. And uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It was an excellent interview. Thank, Thank you, you so Sarah and Chase. Yeah, you guys Appreciate are great. Good luck to you and your daughter. Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you haven't signed up for our 14-day Happy Couple Challenge yet, head on over to our website at idopodcast.com forward slash 14 to sign up today.